Okay, let's get this started. Hi, this is Talking American Studies, and my name is Verena Adamick, currently with the University of Potsdam. Let me quickly introduce the basic idea, but this is only the second episode. With Talking American Studies, I want to highlight some of the currents and projects that are currently going on in North American Studies in Germany. And this episode will be all about risk, or more precisely, about the work done by Professor Jean Cortille and Professor Sylvia Meyer, both from the University of Bayreuth, and their DFG-sponsored project on risk in contemporary North American fiction. Now, first to the concept of risk itself. Risk assessment and risk management are of importance when it comes to politics, emergency response, they are important for digital security, for biology, for engineering, for insurances, for economics, and so on and so forth. Risk can be calculated, it is visualized in statistics in a graph, it is a monetary category of gain and loss, and it influences all kinds of decisions as individuals or groups choose to take or to avoid a risk or certain risks. Well, this may appear rather self-evident and pretty much on the face of it, but risk is, of course, much more complicated than that. Um, one of the misconceptions, perhaps, uh, one encounters is that risk is just self-evident or that, yeah, a given, commonsensical. Or not existent. Or we have this thing that uh, risk is very often a very controversial thing. Mm -hmm. Think of climate change. So, there exists this academic meta-discourse on risk, and this is founded largely in sociology and cultural anthropology. And scholars from these fields investigate how material factors, on the one hand, and discourse, on the other, combine to construct risks. So, a risk in this mindset only exists when it is perceived. And risk perception, therefore, is contextual, as um, different risks are given more or less attention, depending on social, cultural, historical, political, and so on and so forth factors. In a sense, therefore, risk is fictional, also because whatever scenario it postulates has not occurred, or has not occurred yet. Risk studies go back to the 1980s, and back then, when scholars turned their attention to risk, They postulated that a certain paradigm shift has occurred in the 20th century. And this new perception of risk could maybe best be described by a term coined by one of the most influential sociologists in that field, Ulrich Beck, who argued that the new types of risk that people are exposed to or that people perceive have shaped a new form of society, the world risk society. His work on the risk society or now world risk society is really fundamental because what he um, pointed out and of course with, along with him other rather well-known scholars in sociology or cultural anthropology was that our current societies are defined by um, risk perception, risk assessment, um, even risk communication and that these risks are according to Beck a new type of risk, namely um, First of all, a human-made risk, 
um, that uh, can no longer be adequately or sufficiently be monitored or uh, injured, if you will. And this is Sylvia Meyer giving a short overview of Beck's premise. What he has in mind are largely uh, global risks. It starts with the nuclear risk. Um, so um, so the, the major point is the dropping of the two atomic bombs, which ushered in a new age and made visible that humanity um, has been able to modernize in a way that uh, technological innovation is no longer fully accessible in its effects and uh, that earlier ways of monitoring or securing statistical probabilistic um, calculation of possible futures are no longer um, sufficient to deal with these um, major risks like the nuclear risk, like bioengineering uh, risks, for example, or in other fields, was um, financial risks. We, we just have to think of the economic crisis of 2008, the world uh, worldwide economic crisis. And these are the risks that Beck argues are new types of risks that go far beyond anything that statistic or probabilistic calculation had tried to calculate here. Yeah. With that, we have arrived in the midst of the theory that informs the fascinating research going on in Bayreuth. Well, obviously, risk perception does not only start with World War II, and Beck does not claim that. Risk, from an anthropological perspective, features centrally in the development of any society and shapes political and legal institutions and scientific procedure and progress. Risk thus has to be historicized. And here, I think I should mention one study that traces risk through the history of the USA, namely Arwen Morhan's 2013 publication, Risk Negotiating Safety in American Society. Or for inspiration, just listen to Jean Cartier's examples of how risk figures in 19th century discourse. Where, where I looked for risk or found risk uh, in the 19th century was, for example, in unexpected places. Like Margaret Fuller had, and, and women in the 19th century makes reference to risk as individual um, intellectual risk-taking. And, and very prominently, uh, Frederick Douglass. And I think Karen Höpke has written about this mm -hmm. uh, in uh, The Heroic Slave, but also in his autobiographical texts. Uh, frames his moment of liberation in terms of risk, individual risk-taking. And, uh, yeah, uh, Walt Whitman, um, also um, his, his poetic project, you could argue, is hinged on risk, uh, where, where he surprisingly um, actually emphasizes caution and prudence uh, rather than danger. However, the project in Bayreuth is not concerned with these historical perspectives, but with contemporary fiction and how risk is perceived and depicted within that canon. So they do consider risk from various angles, such as individual risk-taking and the connection to frontier narratives and um, risk and gender. But the main emphasis lies on Beck's definition of risk as the anticipation of catastrophe. And so catastrophe does loom large in the canon of the project, which I think works rather well with a trend in the contemporary book market, just speaking from a personal impression here, because lately there's been a lot of books out that in one way or another engage with the idea of catastrophe and worst case scenarios 
and the end of the world, and so on and so forth. So you may have already guessed that one factor that features very strongly in these narratives and in this discourse today in general is climate change. Climate change is exemplary for this new type of risk we're facing because the causes of climate change are largely invisible, or at least invisible to most of us, and the impacts are often distant and they are not immediately felt, they are global and they are rather complex. So in that sense, anthropogenic environmental threats are representative for the types of risk that constitute what Beck has called the World Risk Society. Thus, risk in literary studies has a very strong connection to eco-criticism. And actually, Sylvia Meyer came to the field via an eco-critical publication. My interest in risk fiction developed from my work in eco-criticism. I've done quite a bit of eco-criticism, focusing on um, how literary texts participate in environmental ethical discourses. My focus was on second uh, half of the 19th century New England regionalist writing. And um, after I finished certain projects, I actually encountered Ursula Heise's study. And uh, Heise was the first one to introduce risk fiction studies, to my knowledge, um, to eco-criticism, and that is also to literary studies. And since I was also interested in uh, the phenomena of climate change, the impact of globalization on, on literatures, yeah, I started thinking about risk as an analytical category uh, with respect to environmental texts. But climate change is, of course, not the only global risk that receives considerable attention in fiction. Therefore, Jean Cotille's canon is not so much focused on cli-fi, as you may call it, but instead she looks at narratives of catastrophe brought about by other causes. Even though science fiction plays a role in, you know, in, in shaping um, climate fiction as well, a central role, I think. There are a number of different uh, risk scenarios in, in risk fiction from, from a science fiction studies perspective. And the dominant one right now, I think, is the viral pandemic um, or global pandemic uh, with uh, zombie fiction is one of the key subgenres there, really starting in the, in the early 2000s. Um, a second risk scenario is the machine takeover, where humans are replaced or displaced by machines, like uh, in, uh, in the Matrix, for example, in the Matrix films, um, and many, many others. Nuclear catastrophe has uh, subsided a little. I mean, it's coming back. But that would be another uh, risk scenario. One popular figure that has become significant in determining her canon is the zombie, or rather the changes that the zombie narrative has undergone at the beginning of the century when it started to openly engage with risk. The, the reason why my corpus really starts at the beginning of the 21st century is illustrated very well by, by the changes in zombie fiction, zombie film, especially in the 80s or in George Romero's films. There is a disaster, there's a zombie apocalypse. Something very terrible happens, a catastrophe. But it's, it always remains unclear what the real cause is. Sometimes there's an indication, yeah, it could be human tampering. Uh, for example, the novel uh, I Am Legend, there's a suggestion that it's, it's war-related, uh, the zombie outbreak, but it's, it's not until the early... 2000s, that films like uh, Resident Evil, the first Resident Evil movie, or 12 Days Later, 
start really creating a direct link between human activity and the outbreak and really also exploring that link and exploring the ways in which media, the role media play in, in shaping the way in which people think about the outbreak. One of the key characteristics of, of risk is not just catastrophe, not just the anticipation of catastrophe, but human um, agency in, uh, in creating the correct catastrophe and in, in shaping the catastrophe and in thinking about it. And so risk could become the linking factor between rather realistic novels and science fiction. We immediately thought, you know, how can we work together? And risk became really the hinge between our two interests in science fiction and uh, eco-criticism. So studying risk at the moment is obviously a hot topic. Yeah, that pun was intended. And in um, literary studies, risk as a category is also relatively young and it's a relatively new thing to do. I think when we uh, focus on literary criticism, we can really say that there isn't that much work out right. yet. So it's, it's a thing of the recent past. Um, and so the point is that I think part of what we've realized by doing our work on risk fiction is that the critical category of risk can be very, very successfully and, and um, uh, applied. So um, I, I think in terms of scholarship, it's really a fairly new uh, thing, what we're doing. And if you search for the scholarship that has been out on any, if you will, Anglophone literatures, let's say, um, regardless of the century in which uh, they were written or published, um, we won't find that much, even though we are very sure now that it's there all over the place. And the two professors both said that the approach is generally met with excitement. But there are also objections to their work. At least some scholars in the natural sciences seem to fear that the fictionalization of risk and the engagement with such narratives is, well, risky and harmful to their public image. Um, they feel that we're giving attention to the text that they hate because They, they actually don't want their technologies, uh, genetic engineering, for example, to be thought of in terms of uh, risk. Uh, so, so they're actually, their re reaction was against the representation of science in science fiction. Uh, and, and they felt that by paying attention to that, um, I was actually elevating those trash texts <laughs> to, uh, to a higher level. So it was actually a misconception about what, what literary and cultural studies are doing. And another possible point of discontent is the literary value or the lack of literary value of the risk fiction canon, as Sylvia Meyer elaborates. One is this critique that climate change novels are often too didactic, mm -hmm. which is something that I um, find not... Not convincing. I think there is a need, maybe especially within a U.S. context, to get information out because um, the the American population um, needs more information. And I think fictional text novels are really able to um, to make climate change concrete in terms of its causes, its history, its possible effects. And so I think um, it is wrong to um, assess literature as minor, if you will. If it, uh, if it, it transports a critique um, or if it has a certain didactic or informative function. 
and this links to a debate about which genre in general would be most apt for conveying complex global risks. There has been quite a long discussion about uh, realism, about uh, the ability of the realistic novel to um, respond adequately to a global risk like climate change. Um, for instance, um, recently Amitav Ghosh, the writer, um, wrote a book, The Great Derangement, in which he questions the, the, the ability, the capability of the realist novel to adequately address climate change. I would disagree with him. I think uh, many of the novels that I've studied could be labeled realist and are quite good in transporting the controversial uh, character of, of risk, of the climate change risk in this respect, that they can orchestrate different viewpoints, that they have um, the means to give the novel a global range, uh, formally and thematically. And so um, I'm very uh, positive towards realism. Um, there are, of course, other ways of dealing, engaging with climate change, but I think the realist novel is as, as open, as flexible as to um, be able to address it in an interesting and relevant way. In conclusion, at least this was my impression, it appears as if approaches from literary and cultural studies can complement the sociological basis of risk studies rather beautifully. Um, actually, the, Beck is interesting for us at the point where he fails, where he really is too imprecise. Uh, and that, yeah, that's, um, yeah, to me, the, be the best thing that, that has come out of the project for me uh, is, is that understanding that literary studies has something very fundamental, very, very important to contribute to some of the key questions that are being asked in, in popular culture and literature um, at the moment. I think with respect to climate change, um, we could also mention in this respect that Beck, among others, realized that communication of the issues at stake cannot really um, or is not efficient enough um, if it comes from the sciences or even from politicians or journalists, because what it needs is, is really fiction. That means the exploration of um, individual experiences of, for example, climate change or any other risk um, to make a phenomenon that the natural sciences have studied much more concrete and tangible. Uh, that's, that's a major point. And, and this is where both fiction itself And also literary and cultural studies can help because, as you said, we have the tools to show what is going on on the page or on the screen. Finally, if you are now feeling like seeking out risk as a research topic, I asked my two interviewees for recommendations and they have been very forthcoming. Okay, in literary studies, as we already said, Ursula Heise's Sense of Place and Sense of Planet, mm -hmm. but also um, the, a study by Molly Wallace, a Canadian mm -hmm. um, literary critic, and she published um, a book called Risk Criticism in 2016, developing um, an idea of what she calls precautionary reading, coming from um, a field that in the 1980s was very much en vogue, and that is nuclear criticism. Her argument is that eco-criticism is encompassing now um, all, all these uh, issues that nuclear criticism also had worked on. Um, and then what I would also suggest, um, because what is really important is to, to know something about the cultural work that narrative can do, is to um, read work by psychologist Paul Slovik. Um, also by his son Scott Slovik, and they have very interesting um, work out um, that explains, if you will, the emotional 
and the effective um, effect that narrative can have in addition to its intellectual um, effect. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also very, very important. When it comes to sociology, Beck, of course, that's um, his work is the work that we use very much, but Anthony Giddens, the British um, sociologist, is also very interesting. Can you add? Um, Mary Douglas? Oh, in, in cultural, of course, yeah. in cultural, cultural anthropology, Douglas and Wildavsky. Mm-hmm. This is a very classic uh, study. But what I would simply um, recommend is uh, to take a look at some of the very good handbooks that introduce to social sciences risk studies mm-hmm. by Jacob Arnoldi, for example, Deborah Lupton. This is how I would start to get an idea of the many uh, meanings that risk by now can have. Mm-hmm. And so these distinctions are extremely important to make these distinctions between the different types of definitions that we have nowadays. Yeah, from, from the perspective of science fiction studies, there are, there are studies on apocalyptic science fiction. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Elizabeth Rosen's book especially, because she really defines uh, apocalypse, unlike many others who have it in their titles. And then work on disaster film can, can also be very relevant uh, to, to, to th- thinking about um, risk fiction. For example, Susan Sontag's uh, 1965 essay, The Imagination of Disaster, I think that's, uh, that's a good starting point. It's very early, and uh, it's interesting uh, to see how many of the things that she says in 1965 sound a lot like what Beck says 20 years later, uh, but talking about science fiction film. Um, then, of course... The publications produced by our project. <laughs> um, really seriously, I think um, that we're trying, especially in the, in the piece that we're working on right now, to really give an overview not just of the body of texts that are there and how, how we can look at them in terms of risk, but also uh, where we come from in terms of, you know, readings that, that have shaped our, our approach to risk. And of course, you can find a list of these publications on our online platform, talkingamericanstudies.bossbrowd.com. Okay. Special thanks go to my two eloquent and hospitable interviewees, Professor Sylvia Meyer and Professor Jean Cotier from the University of Bayreuth. And I also want to thank Professor Nicole Waller, who has encouraged and supported this project from its very beginning. Any comments and queries you might have are, of course, welcome. Talking American Studies is on Facebook and Twitter and can be reached via email under talkingamericanstudies at posteo.net. You can follow the podcast, and maybe you even want to share it, via Spotify, iTunes, or the current homepage talkingamericanstudies.buzzword.com. And because multiple people have asked me, of course, you can use this podcast for college or university courses. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you're listening again. Bye. The kinds of texts that I look at, they're, they're not primarily cautionary. They're not saying, be careful, the zombie apocalypse is around the way.